Welcome to Podcast West Seattle. Thank you for listening. I'm Andrew, and the music we're hearing comes from Forget Me Not. They performed live at the Skylark's Wednesday night open mic back in October. The Skylark boasts Seattle's best open mic each Wednesday night. To hear more from Forget Me Not, visit them online at conductedbyforgetmenot.com. They will also be performing live at the Fun House in Seattle on November 17th. This episode of Podcast West Seattle comes to you in two parts. In the first half, it's the conclusion of our visit with Matt Vaughn, reflecting on 30 years of Easy Street Records. The fire department showed up before the in-store, just because there were so many people outside, there was a line, and as far as I'm concerned, that's the greatest in-store we've ever had. And in the second half of the show, we explore some of West Seattle's hidden parks with Linnea Westerland. Everybody goes to Alki when their friends come in from out of town, but if you really know what you're doing, you go to Jack Block Park. This is... Podcast West Seattle. On the last episode of Podcast West Seattle, in coordination with the West Seattle Junction Association, we visited with Matt Vaughn from Easy Street Records. We talked about the store's opening 30 years ago and the impressive run the store had through the 90s. On this episode, we continue the conversation. All right, 1954. This is Easy Street Cafe, the popular and delicious West Seattle breakfast and lunch spot adjacent to Easy Street Records. The breakfast burrito, the, you know, the chorizo scramble, the egg sandwiches. And this is Matt Vaughn, president and owner of Easy Street Records. In the first part of our conversation, we talked a lot about the origins of the record store, but we did not talk at all about the cafe. He acquired the space in the mid-90s. My friends and I, we had a basketball hoop in here, we had a speed bag, and then we would throw shows. It was kind of like a motorcycle club without motorcycles. And, you know, that's where Mudhoney did their first in-store, per se, or Rocket from the Crypt, uh, Luna. uh, A handful of other acts came through. And that was back when, you know, it's wild, wild west. I mean, you're just throwing beers around. No one's hassling you. And as we did more of these, it became kind of a thing. You know, you start, you know, that's how we became friends with uh, Vetter and, and Chris and, you know, a lot of record labels was, it was just kind of a unique West Seattle kind of thing that you couldn't really get away with over the bridge. And so it wasn't too hard for us to attract some of these bands. And that's what got me thinking about the idea of actually doing real shows, you know, or in stores. This made a lot of sense. Matt's experience in the touring business told him that bands craved a legitimate performance space for in-store performances. But what to do with the space the rest of the time? Uh, We just, we put a coffee bar together and we were just doing coffee for about a year. Um, And then we took the wall out. And then by 97, 98, my roommate who, uh, Pat Tunison, long-term West Seattleite, his family. He was a chef, and still is, and he, he's the one that kind of gave me the inspiration. Like, you know what, you can do this. We'll go get some used equipment, use the hood that's already... He just couldn't wrap his head around, why would I get rid of the hood? A loan is 40 grand. 
you know, especially here you go, got to go through three stories. And so uh, we went junking around for a weekend, got all the equipment. They had the space, they had the gear, now they needed a menu. Uh, a lot of the inspiration around the recipes comes from a ski trip. I was like, God dang, there's so many great breakfast places, especially in ski towns. And so it was from that trip that I kind of was inspired on the menu and it was through my roommate's inspiration that we created the cafe. With everything in place and menu items that West Seattleites now take for granted, it seems like the rest was history. But the cafe almost didn't make it. And for the first three years, it was not doing well. I was losing probably three to $5,000 a month. So when people say, you know, restaurant is the hardest to, to prosper in, uh, or at least to get off the ground, I certainly understand that. Luckily, those mid-90s were some of our best years for the record shop and for the Seattle music scene and for the CD itself. And for a moment there, I still recall being back with my buddy Gary Mortensen. Uh, we were sitting across the street here where uh, Cupcake Royale is. I was convinced that I was just going to turn it into one big record store. And he's saying, no, man, stay with the cafe. He said, people are going to finally get it. And he said, this is just too weird of a concept for people to wrap their heads around there. Within six months of, hi of him talking me down and talking me out of it, the cafe started to take off a little bit. Daily breakfast burrito chorizo, please. And could I get a fruit on the side instead of the hash browns? And then I'm going to go for a coffee and then the James Browns with chorizo. It's an unlikely combination, a diner and a record store. Anyone who's tried to explain the setup to an out-of-town visitor knows how hard the concept can be. But the two sides of the business definitely work together. Well, you have to ask yourself, well, why is it that a record store is still so busy? They work off of each other. Um, but if we can break even or make a little something, then good. Uh, you know, this is first and foremost a record store. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I know, and it feels like we just got lucky with the cafe, and I fortunate fortunate enough to have good people running it. The intersection of the cafe and record store provided space for emerging local musicians. We had a, a great in-store with Brandy Carlisle, who, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is you know one of the greatest female talents that Seattle's ever produced. And uh, she lived in West Seattle for a, for a time. And when we first had the cafe going, back when no one would show up, she would. That's how we first met her. You know, for all we knew, she was writing, you know, some of the, the biggest songs that she's ever written, you know, we're, we're here in the cafe. But In addition to the cafe, the other major change for Easy Street during this time was the opening of the Queen Anne location. The store was successful, doing steady business and hosting several high-profile in-store performances. Eventually, the rent got unrealistically high. The decision was made for me. Uh, we had 30 days to... To get out. The, the store was still doing pretty well. Uh, you know, we had gone through some tough times with the Mercer mess, and of course the Sonics leaving hurt us tremendously. You know, that was an emotional blow. The store uh, survived all that. We were doing well. Chase Bank wanted that location. Our lease was coming up. I didn't know anything about it, and I got called into a meeting uh, where they basically just said, you know, this is what's going to happen. Chase Bank is going to take it. You got 30 days. However, in the end, we ended up having fun with it. It was the, you know, still to this day, I have to think it was the 
you know, best grand closing of any business ever here in Seattle. I mean, we ended up having Yola Tango uh, perform that night, uh, and we were back to throwing beers around. Rainier gave us 15 cases of beer. Uh, Manny gave us a keg. We went till, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. What I didn't expect through all of that, which came as a wonderful surprise and what's made me fall in love with West Seattle even more than I already had, was that we had so many people follow us over here that were either Queen Anne residents or just you know basic music fans from over the bridge. In 2013, we were 40% up here at the West Seattle store versus the year before, which we have to think had everything to do with just people following us over here. And since then, we've just had year in, year out, better numbers. The West Seattle location continued to thrive. Easy Street has long been a cultural landmark, but there's one night from the store's recent history that may be the highest point yet. A couple years ago on Record Store Day, we had the Sonics with special guests, and uh, Chris Ballou was a special guest, uh, Ben from Soundgarden, Eddie, uh, Taco Cat, uh, Calvin Johnson. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the greatest in-store we've ever had. And it almost didn't happen. I was actually very worried, more worried than any other in-store I've ever put together because the fire department showed up before the in-store. Just because there were so many people outside, there was a line. And so they immediately say, this isn't going to happen. I mean, no, nothing became of it. They, they stayed here the whole time. But there was maybe 50 to 100 people that we couldn't get in. I couldn't pack it out like I normally would have. Ladies and gentlemen! This is the Sonic! It was pretty immediate uh, that uh, the, the band still had it and maybe had more life in them than anyone would have ever thought. Quality was amazing. Uh, they didn't. They didn't miss a beat. Uh, they were just more on fire than anyone would have expected. So many classic moments. So much great music. I asked Matt, "What's next for Easy Street?" As long as people keep coming into the store, and as long as we're we have a medium to sell music, and uh, we're able to keep a good majority of the great staff that I have. You know, I'm in it. And if you want to keep up on local music, come to an in-store performance. Uh, anyone that sees, you know, our in-store calendar that's into music should pay attention because we're, we're, not, we're only going to have good music. For 30 years, Easy Street has been giving us a place to go to fall in love with great music. Whether it's vinyl pulled from a used record crate, a CD pulled from the bestseller's shelf, or an in-store performance rocking out after the cafe has closed. Easy Street has carved out a unique and impactful history. I, I feel as though you, you've got to walk through the door of progress, so go with it. And it's what we continue to do after 30 years. Thanks again to Matt Vaughn from Easy Street for being so generous with his time. And also thanks to Matt for maintaining an elite record store and a top breakfast spot for us to enjoy right here in West Seattle. And finally... Thanks to Laura from the West Seattle Junction Association for helping make it happen. On the second part of the show, it's time to find some of the less explored outdoor spots in West Seattle. 
West Seattle has some of the best parks in the city, with Alki and Lincoln Parks topping most people's lists. I decided to take a closer look at some of the more hidden parks of West Seattle. I caught up with author Linnea Westerlin at Lincoln Park. I asked her to talk about three lesser-known parks, a playground, a park with trails, and a park with a view. First up, Puget Ridge Playground. Puget Ridge Playground really is a neighborhood park. Um, It's really only known by the people that live right around it. Puget Ridge Playground is located at 6021 21st Avenue Southwest on a small triangular plot of land bordered by Croft Place as it climbs the side of Puget Ridge. It's great for little kids because it is fully fenced all the way around it. I visited over the summer with my four-year-old son. We're the playground. I'm the only kid here. And there aren't that many playgrounds across the city that are really tailored, especially for younger kids, you know, four and under. So it's nice to have one in West Seattle. And Change is coming to Puget Ridge Playground. A sign posted at the park reads, Seattle Parks and Recreation will be renovating the play area and installing new play equipment at the park. The proposal includes new play structures and enhancement to the park to improve seating and gathering while maintaining the charm of the little park. How did this happen? We're going to knock holding on and this leaning forward. Is the teeter-totter your favorite part? Yeah. This is a very, this is little of my factor to be. I thought it was going to be bigger. Next up, Fauntleroy Park. I think people that live around the Fauntleroy neighborhood definitely know that park and spend a lot of time in it. Fauntleroy Park is located at 3951 Southwest Barton. It has 32 acres of heavily wooded forest and 1.5 miles of trail, with access points from the Fauntleroy YMCA, 97th Avenue Southwest, Barton Street, and a few others. But I think a lot of people don't really realize that it has a pretty extensive network of trails and that it's been around for a long time. It's got a salmon stream. I visited the park back in June. Entering Fauntleroy Park, heading toward the community salmon release. Each year, elementary and preschool students across West Seattle raise baby salmon to release into Fauntleroy Creek. This year, local conservationist and salmon enthusiast Jack Lawless had extra, and he gave the opportunity to release some fish to the community. Are we ready to release some fish? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Can you hand over the top? Okay. Now take it all the way down to the water. Okay, release the top hand. I've got the top. Okay. Did you feel them? Yep. Yep. Nice. And so you can probably see that. Yeah, well, there's, there's one. one. There's two of them. I think people think of it as sort of maybe an inaccessible ravine, but there's really a lot of, you know, cool things to go in and explore. Take a look in there. Put your knees right down here. I'll help you. Can you put your knees in here? Our final hidden park of West Seattle is Jack Block Park. So Jack Block Park is one of uh, just a handful of Port of Seattle parks. So they're actually owned and managed by the port. And almost all of the Port of Seattle parks were just former port land that hasn't been needed anymore. So it's been reconverted into park space. But the Port of Seattle doesn't do a lot of marketing of their parks. So a lot of them are totally under the radar. Jack Block Park is located at Harbor Avenue Southwest and Southwest Florida Street. It's so under the radar. I've probably driven or run by this park 150 times without ever going in. And when I did visit the 15-acre park... There were only five other people there. Yeah, it's yeah, it's usually pretty peaceful out here. Oh. I don't come out here on weekends, but um, right. during the week, it's there's 
hardly ever anybody here. It's weird, and then a lot of people go up in that part of it, and they never come down here, which is even better. You can also see some of the port activity. You can sometimes see a little bit of Mount Rainier. You can look out, and there's often sea lions on the buoys just offshore. And it's a fun park for kids, too, because it's got these paved paths. It has sort of a, a big gravelly sand pit for kids to play in. All right, and play area. This is pretty nice. You've got your uh, picnic tables, you got your sand, you got your stuff to climb on, you got your uh, birdhouse. And it's a really nice spot for walking. Also has a little, some beach access. I come here often, yeah. yeah. Take him down here, just a nice, easy little walk. You know, it's quick when you don't have time to yeah. cruise Lincoln Park, so yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, down this there. is actually the first time I've been down all the way down here. It's so. a treat down here. You get the wildlife everywhere. It's it's great. Yeah, you see the harbor seals down here every oh, now yeah, and then. Yeah cruising around the, the pier out here yeah it's beautiful down here it's just nice and quiet yeah it's beautiful down here at night when it's all lit up the, the lights and everything it's got an incredible view of downtown seattle everybody goes to alki when their friends come in from out of town but if you really know what you're doing you go to jack block park and you hike all the way out to the end it's about half mile and out at the end there is a lookout that's 40 feet off the ground and it looks straight onto downtown Seattle. Well, we're from down south in the oh, like, okay. home area. These guys area. are from Hawaii. I had a friend who lived on Alakai, um, and he used to actually rent uh, pedal carts, and he uh, okay. knew all the little secret spots here, and he, he took me here. Yeah, yeah, he's a photographer, so it's a, it's a great vista right there. Yeah, it really Jack is. Block Definitely. Park has amazing views, walking paths, picnic and play areas, and glimpses of trains, ships, and other port activities. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I'd come here, I was coming here for years, and then all of a sudden he showed me this park, I'm like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah this is one of my favorites. That's Port of Seattle's Jack Block Park, located on Harbor Avenue between the West Seattle Bridge and Salties. We also visited Fauntleroy Park and Puget Ridge Playground. Thanks again to Lene Westerlin. You can find her online at yearofseattleparks.com and check out her great book, Discovering Seattle Parks, A Local's Guide. That's all for this episode of Podcast West Seattle. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, rate, comment, share, or do all four. Thanks for listening. Here's more Forget Me Not. Great.